Hello there and welcome to the ninth episode of the Synergen Leadership Podcast. And look, in today's uh, episode, we're going to give to you the second of our content episodes. Last time I spoke about the 11 essential components of a high-performance culture and actually is as part of that, uh, one of the things that I mentioned in the implementation uh, idea was that uh, a reference to Cotter's eight steps of change management. And so I thought for this podcast, it'd probably be handy if we gave you some content around that. So what we've got here today is uh, I'm going to walk you through each of the eight steps. I'm going to give you a little bit of an overview. And I probably recommend that you have a pen handy if you're not driving as you're listening to this because there is uh, quite quite a bit of detail here. And look, I do want to reinforce that if you do want this content, we're happy to uh, give it to you. So all you need to do is send me through an email at julian at syngengroup.com.au and we may even make it available in the show notes for you at a later date. But right now, uh, sit back, have a listen to Cotter's Eight Steps. Welcome to the Synergen Leadership Podcast with Julian Carl. Julian speaks with leaders from around Australia to bring you their leadership story and share their insights about being a leader. To further help you build your leadership capability, Julian shares his own insights about leadership and the tools and techniques he uses as a leader. So this really uh, came about uh, in 2006 when John Cotter uh, published a book called Leading Change. And it has really become one of the foundation texts in uh, change. And a lot of people refer to it. I think actually, if you listen back to the episode with Matt Tamplin, he actually refers to it as one of the frameworks that he's familiar with. And I think the reason it's important is it provides you with a structured approach to transformation because change is happening all the time now. And we need to be thinking about how can we be uh, take a consistent approach to change And how can we make sure that change initiatives are actually successful? Because if you're like me, you've probably come across many leaders who will tell you that uh, change is not necessarily uh, managed well in their workplace. So in all the people that I've trained, it's been a very, very, very common occurrence in things that have been mentioned to me. So the reason that this is so valuable is probably because it's so well supported. Uh, plenty of people have used this this model and plenty of people will say that it is a very effective change model. So I'm going to give you an overview of the first eight steps first and then what we'll do is delve a little bit deeper into each of the eight steps. So the first step is number one is establishing a sense of urgency. Number two is creating the guiding coalition. Number three developing the vision and strategy. Number four, communicating the change vision. Number five, empowering broad-based action. Number six, generating short-term wins. Number seven, consolidating gains and producing more change. Number eight, anchoring new approaches in culture. Now, the first four steps in the in the transformational change process help you sort of defrost, help you ease people into the idea that change is going to be occurring. And I think it's important to let you know that it's not wise to try to skip stages. 
because you need to build enthusiasm, you need to build commitment, you need to build ownership. And these are the things that the first four stages will actually bring. Probably likely that in some areas you're going to meet some resistance to change. And if you've done a good job at setting the first four uh, steps in place, that resistance will be minimized and you'll be in a better position to manage that, that resistance. The other thing I think it's worth uh, talking about is the importance of sequence because as you work through each one, it's going to naturally lead you to the next one. And I think if we try to skip around and change the order, I don't think you'll be as effective as you could be in this. And quite often the reason people skip is because they're feeling a particular pressure to produce a result. Okay, so I'm going to recommend that you stick to the process. Okay. And one of the things that also happens with projects is that they often lead to other projects and then mini projects. So you might have a broad change initiative happening where you're up to step number six, whereas and then within that, a little change initiative has come around and you're up to step number three. So it really is an evolving process and it really is something where you need to take your time, you need to plan it out. And if you follow this process, my guess is that you'll be in a much better position to uh, implement change. So let's get on to the first one, shall we? Creating urgency. So if it's any major change initiative, it's going to require cooperation. It's going to require initiative and there's going to be a needs to be a willingness. People do need to understand why the change is necessary. Uh, many times you'll find people, you know, referring to that acronym, you know, WIFM, what's in it for me. And this is pretty much a, uh, an important thing to consider when you're looking at this idea of creating urgency. Because if people don't understand what's in it for them, why would they change? We need to be thinking about how we can create a sense of urgency so that people understand that yep, we need to change. Now, change is occurring whether you like it or not. Uh, the world is changing, business is changing, and as a result, leadership is changing. The definition of leadership is changing. And so we need to be sure that we have that ability to manage it, and we need to be sure that we can create that sense of urgency so people start to embrace the change. So when it comes to this idea of creating urgency, I'd like you to think about this idea of pushing up the urgency level. That is making people realize why it's important to change and important to change now. And so there's a number of ways that you can raise the urgency level when you're going about this change. First thing is you can eliminate obvious examples of excess. So this might be particular facilities, it might be uh, you know, just things around the office place that, that, that can say that, you know, we've got, we've got plenty of money, we've got plenty of time, just those things which indicate that a business is not necessarily operating in a lean environment, that the business is not necessarily focused on the financial position of the business. Uh, second way you can raise urgency levels is that you can set revenue, income, productivity, customer satisfaction, cycle time targets high that if you don't do something different, you'll never be able to reach those targets. Third thing is you can stop measuring performance based only on narrow goals. So you can ask for more people to be held accountable for broader measures. You can give people more data about 
customer satisfaction and financial performance so that people really understand what's going on in the business. I think this is something which a lot of businesses don't do very well and that is they share the, this information with their workforce and as a result the workforce tends to think yeah everything's all right when really everything is not all right. Number five is that you can ask people to actually talk to unsatisfied customers, unhappy suppliers and disgruntled shareholders. There's nothing more relevant than hearing a customer tell you why they're not happy with your service. That is a very, very, very uh, unpleasant thing to hear. So if people are hearing that, it will really reinforce the need for change. Some businesses, for step number six, some businesses really use this one well, and that's where they get consultants or other means to bring in data and share that into management meetings and team briefings and executive briefings. This is where organizations, some of the big ones like McKinsey and Bain, all those ones get called in and they really start to show why a business needs to change. You can put uh, more information in company newspapers and newsletters and senior management speeches so that people are getting a really clear picture about the position of the business, so as a result, why they need to change. And then you can the final step is you can provide people with information on future opportunities. So what would happen if we were able to change to reach those opportunities? So there are eight ways that you can raise the urgency level with change. And again, it ultimately gets back to why do we need to change? Why do we need to change? What's driving it? And we can also ask ourselves, what happens if we don't change? Because if we don't change, you know, will we be left behind? If we don't change, will we lose a particular customer? If we don't change, Will someone leapfrog us and be the number one player? Whatever it is, what happens if we don't change? Now, I'm not sure what level of your management you're in as you're listening to the podcast. So you might be a frontline leader, you might be a middle manager, you might be a senior leader. Either way, wherever your position in the business, you have a role to play with the change. Okay, the frontline leaders are the ones that are really, much, really on a day-to-day -day basis, reinforcing the need to change with the workforce. The senior leaders in the business, you're the ones with the, with the power. You're the ones that need to support the change. And middle managers, quite often, you're the ones that are receiving information from the front line and information from the senior leaders, and you've got to continue to circulate that information. So everyone is aware of what needs to change and why. We can't underestimate the power of leadership in, in this uh, state. One of the things which I commonly here in all the rooms of training that I've done is that the communication about why we're doing things just isn't there. And I think that's one of the key things that leaders at all levels need to take on is communicating the change and really taking the time to understand why we need change and making sure that we really let the workforce know. Step number two in Cotter's change uh, process is that we need to create the, what we call the guiding coalition. Okay, and this coalition is essentially a committed team of influential, respected and trusted individuals. Okay, and one of their uh, first tasks is the creation of the transformation program. How are we going to go about this? And this is where we need to make sure we've got a good range of people into this guiding coalition. And then the guiding coalition needs to have four key characteristics. The first one is position power. And this is where we ask ourselves, do we have enough key players on board 
especially the main line managers, so that we can drive this change forward. The second characteristic is expertise. Do we have different points of view? Do we have uh, people from all different parts of the business who have important knowledge involved in this? Are we able to make intelligent decisions because we've got the relevant expertise? The third characteristic is credibility. So do we have enough people with good reputations so that when the guiding coalition puts something out, the broader business understands it and takes it seriously? And the fourth characteristic is leadership. So does the group have enough proven leaders to be able to drive the change process? And I suppose for me that, that last one is, 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 is crucial because, you know, this podcast is all about leadership and everything leadership. And, you know, for me now I've come to realise that change is a constant. So the idea that we can just stay the same is, is redundant, I believe. And I think businesses that have that mindset are certainly going to be left behind and, and you know, corporate, corporate, uh, the corporate world is actually becoming more and more, or we have more and more examples of businesses that are prepared to change that are just being left behind. So the thing about leadership is that you also do need an element of management, okay? And this is where that uh, the, the leaders are actually painting the vision and everything else and the, the managers are talking about how we're actually going to implement this. And so if we do have a problem with missing leadership in this guiding coalition, quite often what happens is people are brought in from outside the firm. So I know that there, are, in my network, there are people that uh, are contract change managers where they go into a business and they you know, share their knowledge and they drive the change process. That's quite often what happens. Sometimes in, uh, businesses bring in or promote or second employees so that they start to get involved in how to lead the change project. And employees who hold positions requiring leadership are encouraged to accept the challenge. So that might be that a frontline leader or a middle manager or senior leader takes on board the extra uh, work in terms of driving this, this, this change through. And so the important thing to, to finish up with with step number two in, in this guiding coalition is that once you have that, you have a powerful team. And what that team can do is, number one, they can create the vision. Number two, they can give the program credibility. Number three, they can empower the right people to do the right things. Number four, they can communicate effectively and broadly. Number five, they can identify and ensure short-term wins. And number six, they can commence building a new culture. And I think it's that culture word at the end there which is often missed as well, that when change occurs, it can often bring culture change as well. So we do need to be aware of that. Step number three is this idea of developing a vision and strategy. And this is where this guiding coalition really needs to get it right. And so initially they're doing a few things. The first is they're identifying the direction of change. Where are we going? Why are we going there? The second thing, they need to provide motivation and inspiration. So it's very easy to sit in an office and say, this is what we need to do. Very different uh, equation to be able to actually get the workforce, get the broader business on board and actually embracing the change. So that's where the motivation and inspiration comes in. 
And then the third thing of developing a vision and strategy is galvanizing individuals to take action. So how do we get people to actually do something? Now, if we don't have this vision, there's no reason to change. If someone hasn't painted that vision, if someone hasn't told us where we're going and what the consequences are if we don't, there's no need to change. So we need to be very clear about what the vision is. In other words, where are we going to? Vision often serves to motivate people to undertake actions that may not be in their short-term interests. So in some change initiatives, there may be some short-term pain for long-term gain. And people's self-interest is often one of the hardest obstacles to overcome in any transformation. So you have to have that vision painted clearly so that people can really see where they're going. And the other thing that, that vision helps do is it helps bring all the individuals together. So everyone's uh, aiming for a common purpose. So I live in uh, Australia and one of the biggest things in Australia is uh, Australian Rules Football. We have a sport where we have teams who are very much focused on winning a premiership. And the good thing about sports and leadership is that there's quite often a lot of analogies between the two. And with any sports team, and whether it be the code that I follow, AFL, or something else such as rugby or soccer, whatever it is you follow, the team has a common purpose, and that's to win a premiership. Okay, and that brings everyone together aiming for that. So when we do have this, uh, this vision in place, you know, leadership creates a vision. Leadership creates a strategy. And these things are a sensible and appealing picture of the future. And the strategy is almost a logic of how the vision can be achieved. You know, I mentioned earlier before about the role management plays in this. Management creates plans, which gives you specific steps and timetables to the change. And it also creates budgets. And this is where we have to factor in the financial implications of these changes. So I also want to give you a few uh, characteristics of an effective vision so that you can walk away and, and see whether or not your vision of your change has these. The first one is, can it be imagined? Does it convey a picture of what the future will look like? If you're a good storyteller as a leader, there's a, there's a good probability that you're in a position to create a compelling picture of a future. And people need to be able to imagine themselves in that future. Second characteristic is desirable. Does it appeal to people? Do they actually want to work in that place, that vision that you've painted? Do they want to be there? Then third characteristic is feasible. Is it actually possible? Do people actually believe it? Do they believe that they can actually get to that place that you're telling them you can get them to? Fourth characteristic of an effective vision is that it's focused. So it's clear enough to provide guidance and decision making. So we know how we're going to get there. Fifth one is flexible. Is it general enough to allow individual initiative and alternative responses? And the fourth one is can we communicate it? Can we communicate this vision in five minutes? Can we take people to where we want to take them? So I'm going to ask yourself that when you are thinking about a, a vision, does it have those six characteristics? And I suppose the last couple of things I want to talk about in terms of uh, step number three, this vision and strategy is that your transformational vision must be ambitious. It must talk about the change that's coming. It's got to indicate how the organization will be better and at what. And it's got to demonstrate that the organization has an awareness of current market demands and technology and innovation. Now, this is an interesting one, and I, I think the listeners out there, some of you will have very different perspectives on, on how 
your organization is actually aware of what's going on in their marketplace. What innovation's coming? And then there's a lot of talk globally about the, the impact of AI and virtual reality and, and things like that. How is technology going to impact your workplace? How is technology going to impact your business? What changes are coming and how well are your, is your business actually seeing these changes? And so when it comes to creating the vision, it does need to be a, a, a team effort. This guiding coalition has a big role to play in that. It's got to be well-researched. And quite often starts with a first draft. This is where we just start putting together some, some ideas. You know, there's the, the role of the guiding coalition of this is to really just start putting all of this down, which is why it's so important to have a diverse range of people in that guiding coalition. Got to have a time frame. There's your vision of a time frame. When are you actually going to achieve it? And so I think with that, you end up with this end product. And this end product is a vision which could be translated into a short video. It could be translated into an infographic. It can tr be translated into a toolbox briefing. Whatever it is, we need to be able to communicate that vision and then the strategy that supports it. So that's step number three. So step number four in Cotter's eight steps is communicating a change vision. Now, this is where many businesses fail. They fail dismally. There's no point in me trying to sugarcoat it. My experience tells me organizations in general don't do this well. And why they don't do it well, I'm not sure all the time. I do know that in a lot of my experiences, because there is not necessarily a commitment to communicate the, the, the vision well. So the first thing I'm going to ask you to do if you're listening to this is think about how good is your communication in your business, upwards, downwards, sideways, inwards, outwards, whichever direction you're talking, how effective is your communication? Because if that's not right, your your change initiative is going to be in serious trouble. So first thing here I'd like you to think about is how do we clarify the message of the vision? And then ask yourself these questions. So what does that mean for the person hearing it? What does it mean for their team? Is their job in danger? Do they need to learn new skills? How's it going to affect the structure of the organization? Will my role change? Will I have to sacrifice anything, including salary? And how do I know that the organization will see these through? These are some of the key questions your people and your team are thinking about. Now, some way, some of them may actually ask you, but at a minimum, they're going to be thinking it. So we have to be ahead of it when we're communicating in terms of saying, well, this is what it means. And we need to be able to answer all of those questions. And so there's a couple of key elements there that we can talk about in terms of the effective communication of vision, probably more than a couple. The first one is simplicity. So try to get rid of any jargon and, and, and stuff that doesn't mean anything. Let's just you know get a clear, concise, simple message across. You know, are there metaphors or analogies that we can use? You know, that verbal picture is often a thousand words. Are there multiple forums? So can we do toolbox briefings, uh, lean meetings? Can we do uh, general meetings? Can we do special meetings? Whatever your structure is, what's the forum for how we're going to communicate that vision? Repetition. Ideas will start to sink in if they start to hear them time after time. I think a, a big part is leadership by example. So this is where the leaders in the business are actually continuing to communicate and support the message. 
I think that if any inconsistency come up, that they need to be explained and explained quite quickly. And I've said this before that you know two-way communication is vital. That is that everyone has the opportunity to talk to you about change that you're driving. So I really want to finish off step number four with this idea that you've got to be very effective at communicating before you even start to try to initiate change effectively. Because if you don't have those communication structures in place, if you don't have that internal capability, if you don't have that capacity to deliver the, the messages effectively, your change initiative is going to be in serious trouble. Step number five is empowering employees for broad-based action. So this is where we need to get the people involved. This is where we need to make sure that we're able to bring people on the change journey with us. If they just think that the change is occurring without them, how likely is it that they're going to buy in? You know as well as I do, they're not. So again, this starts with communicating a sensible vision to all your employees. If they've got a shared sense of purpose, it's going to be easier to initiate actions to achieve that purpose. We've got to make the business structure compatible with the vision. We need to provide people with the training that they need. We've got to give them the make sure they've got the right skills and attitudes. If they don't, if they don't have the skills, they're going to feel disempowered. They're going to feel disengaged, and they're not going to join you on your change journey. So, what training needs to be organised for your teams? We need to align all the information and personnel systems to the vision. Everything needs to be lined up with this vision. And putting it bluntly, if you come across supervisors, leaders, managers who undercut the change, they need to be called out. The leader in this situation can have a dramatic impact on the effectiveness of change. So if you come across those leaders, you need to call them out. They need to be on board with changing. Now, sometimes there's structural barriers for this, and it could be different site location, different shifts, whatever it may be. But we need to make sure that as part of the vision that we're focused on the client that we need to have a structure that's built around delivering to that client. We need to make sure that during the time frame that we're focused on the client, that we're giving more responsibility to lower level employees. And we need to make sure that we're doing everything we can to increase productivity. We need to get around whatever structural barriers there are that get in the way of our vision. We also need to be thinking about the new skills. What new skills do we need? If we want this change to be effective, what skills do our people need? What skills do our leaders need? We also need to think about, are our systems aligned to the vision? And I'll give you, I'll give you an example which comes up in my world a lot with the organisations I work with. They often talk about the, the technology associated with performance reviews and, and, and the process of performance reviews. So if your vision is to have an effective performance review system and then the technology doesn't enable that to happen, well, there's a misalignment there and it will not fly. So we've got to make sure that all the systems that are in our businesses are actually aligned to where this business is going. And again, you, you, you can't underestimate the, the impact that troublesome managers and leaders will have on your change initiative. So we all know that the number one reason people leave employment is because of their direct manager. It's not the industry, it's not the salary, it's not the opportunity of promotion, it's their direct manager. So if we have those managers, we need to 
do do with them what we need to do with them and that could be we need to terminate it could be that we need to talk to them pull them aside one-on-one have the conversation whatever it is we need to have troublesome managers we don't want them getting in the way of your change initiatives so step number six in cotter's eight steps is this idea that we can generate short-term wins so sometimes change initiatives you know do take time you know, six months, 12 months, 24 months, however it takes. And and in step number six, what it asks us to do is really think about, well, are there any short-term wins? Are there any low-hanging fruit that we can do on our way to this bigger change, which will just give us that feeling of success, give us that feeling of having a little bit of a win? So it's important that we uh, start to think about that. And a good short-term win has at least these three characteristics it's visible so the people in the team can actually see whether the result is real or it's just hype it's unambiguous in other words there's little argument over the fact that we had a win and number three is it's related to the change effort so that people can see oh as a result of this bigger change is what happened in the short term if you can get those three characteristics together then you're going to be in a, in a better position to highlight these short-term wins. And when you have these short-term wins, they do play an important role. They provide evidence that the sacrifices are worth it. So that makes people think that they, yep, yeah, no, this is worth it, we can do it. They also give you the ability to reward your change agents with a pat on the back, a bit of positive feedback. Sometimes they're putting in a lot of hard work and positive feedback does build morale and motivation. These short-term wins can also help you fine-tune the vision and strategy. They can help the guiding coalition in creating uh, the viability of their ideas. Number four, it does serve to undermine cynics and self-serving resistors of change. Sometimes when they see the wins, they realize the inevitability of change. It does also keep your management and leadership team on board because they see the changes occurring. And importantly, these short-term wins do actually build momentum. They do actually drive people to say, yep, we're on the path, we're making progress, let's keep going. Now, I mentioned earlier about the role of management in this. I think it's important to mention it again in that any successful change initiative, the role of management cannot be underestimated. So the managers need to be supportive of these short-term wins. They need to be promoting these short-term wins. They need to be seen as being change advocates, not change resistors. So the role of management in all this cannot be underestimated. So step number seven in Cotter's eight steps of change is this idea that we consolidate gains and we produce more change. I said earlier that change is inevitable and change is ongoing. And I think that it's, it's prudent to say now that if you struggle with change, you're just going to struggle in general because nowadays things are moving so fast, so fast in business and in life, things are changing. And so if you think of a change in if initiative as an ongoing thing, that even when you reach the result, even when you reach the vision, that just leads to more change. That's the mindset that successful business leaders and managers need to have in this day and age. And so one of the things we need to make sure is we don't let resistance reassert itself because there's always going to be resistance to change. And so the people that drive the resistance 
They need to be carefully monitored. They need to be managed so that they don't get the opportunity to derail all the hard work that's being put in. And so we also need to be thinking about, you know, you do need to have patience and understanding with these people. You don't want to just run the risk of alienating those who support transformation because you haven't actually thought about how you can actually get everyone on board. So you do want to make sure that you're getting everyone on board. And I suppose when it comes to, to the, the final point of, of step number seven, which is this idea of organisational transformations, you might end up having multiple projects running at once. So the idea of having some good project management skills comes into play as well. But I'd like you to think about what happens here is that you have more change, not less. So the more change you drive, the more change you get. Once you drive more change, you need more help. This could mean you need additional people are brought in. When you need that, that leads you to leadership from senior management. So senior leaders need to be on board with this. Your project managers need to be on board. They need to be the ones who are implementing this. And then wherever possible, we need to be reducing things that are getting in the way. So are, are we reliant on certain parts of the business to do something? Well, if we are, can we get rid of that interdependency? So in step number seven, it's really about let's consolidate what we've been able to achieve so far and let's think about what change does that lead to? What change is that going to produce? In step number eight in Cotter's eight steps, the, the final step is this idea of anchoring new approaches in the culture. So the culture of any business is, is, is vital. It's what brings it together. It's what people often subscribe to. It's what people buy into. And so culture is powerful for three reasons. One, because individuals are selected and indoctrinated so well. People buy into the culture. It's also powerful because the culture exerts itself through the actions of the people in the business. So you know that a culture has really been well done when people are living and breathing it. And the third is because this happens without conscious intent. Culture is what makes or breaks a business ultimately. If you look at the cultures of very successful businesses, you know, it's easy to identify, for example, Google has a culture of innovation. You know, Apple, you know, if you go into an Apple store wherever you are, they've got a they've got a culture of customer service. So you've got all these different cultures and these are what makes businesses successful. So sometimes the uh, new practices that come about as a result of, of your change in issue will start to look to replace the old culture. So there is a little bit of a culture shift that's required. And look, this might be inevitable. Uh, and again, it really gets down to the role that the leaders play in being able to drive this with the teams. So again, this whole idea of anchoring really does link to the leadership of, of the business. And I just want to finish with the idea that the more we get used to change, the better we'll be at it. It's a process. It's something that you can work through. Cotter's model is only one. There are, there are plenty of others. But it's a, it's a good starting point just to, I suppose, for me, reflect on how you approach change. How do you view change? And so with that, I'm going to leave you. Hopefully you've got some good value out of it. And like I said, if you do want some of this content, we're happy to, to give it to you. Just uh, shoot me through an email at julian at synergengroup.com.au. 
and we will uh, send something to you. And happy listening. Once again, would really like if you could leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. We are looking to grow awareness of the podcast and the, your reviews help us do that. And if you've got any questions or if there's anyone you'd like us to try to interview, shoot me through an email. I'm happy to start to reach out to people outside of my network and start to ask them. Or if you've got any ideas about what sort of content you'd like to hear, we'd love to hear your feedback. So again, shoot me through an email, julian at syngingroup.com. Feel free to link in with me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty easy to find, Julian Carl. And uh, if there's anything you want to know, just ask. We're here to add as much value as we can. So bye for now. And uh, next week, we'll be back to the interview format and we'll be interviewing Belinda Perisek, who is the general manager of a legal firm, Coulter Roach, down in uh, regional Victoria. So pretty interesting interview coming up for you next week. So bye for now and see you next time. wraps up another episode of the Synergy Leadership Podcast. I trust you found it interesting. A couple of things. If you could go online and leave a review of the podcast, that would be great. Really help us in uh, spreading awareness of the podcast. Happy for you to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty easy to find. And if you want to shoot me through an email, julian at synergygroup.com.au. Uh, see you next time.